You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. Happy Mother's Day, and I'm so glad that you're with us here today because we're beginning a brand new series that is called Frontlines. And why I'm excited about this series is because it's going to allow us to take the next step from from the, the, the series we just finished called Why Church. And, and if you're if you're new here, first time tuning in, maybe first time showing up, listen, don't worry. Uh, if if you if you want, you can jump back to crossroadsgrace.org. You can find them there. You can get our free app, and you can listen to all the messages there. But again, don't worry. I'll, I'll catch you up to speed because the point of why church, the series we just got done with, was we took a hard look at what the church was all about. We wanted to know where it came from. We wanted to know who it was for. We wanted to know what the role was of it in the world. And on a broader level, we wanted to know what the mission of the church was. And we answered all those questions. But what Frontlines is all about is it's about in the trenches of the mission itself. To actually look at what a follower of Jesus looks like, who doesn't just go to church, but actually lives out their lives to love Jesus every day of their life. That's what this is all about. Because Frontlines is going to be a grimy, gritty, gnarly look at... um, at those that follow Jesus and, 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 and to do that in a way that he's called us to live. And, and who better to guide us through this than somebody that had a firsthand sold out life for Jesus and what that looked like. And none other than James, the brother of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles with you today, maybe you want to join me online. If you want to get your Bibles out, we're going to be in the book of James today. Uh, online chat host for our Crossroads Online family, why don't you put that in the chat right now. James chapter 1 is where we're going to be in just a moment. And, and, if, you're, and if you're with us here today and you're not a Christian, uh, you, maybe you've never read the Bible before. Maybe you haven't opened your Bible in a while. Uh, man, I'm just super glad that you're with us here today. And I know this series is going to be a great encouragement to you in a lot of different ways because Frontlines is a study of the book of James, but not in that sanitized way that maybe you, you've read James before or maybe even thought about James before. Or, or, or maybe you just need, you know, like the Bible's just this way. This is how the Bible is. I'm telling you, we're going to flip it on its head. Because, you see, I want us to look at the book of James as a letter being written to a battle-tested veteran on the front lines of the battle for Jesus. Like someone who's in the trenches, someone who's in the muck and the mire of life. So somebody that is, is battling out for Jesus every day, and, and, and James is that guy. And here's why. A second ago, I mentioned that James was the brother of Jesus. But, but let me explain how that all kind of came to be. Uh, we come to find this out as we read at an interesting moment in Jesus' life. And in Jesus' life, this moment, he had just raised a dead little girl from the dead, uh, raised her from the dead, little girl. Uh, and then he healed a woman that had a bleeding disorder for over 12 years. Healed them both, right? Epic stuff happening. But it's right after this that we pick up in in the book of Mark chapter 6. And we read these words. Uh, Mark chapter 6, it says this. It says, uh, Jesus left there and he went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? 
they asked. What is, what, what's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarks? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? But, but, but see, it's, it's amazing, right? But just because we see that James is like, he's right here in the, in the thick of it. This is our boy James right here. Just because he's the brother of Jesus and he's around all these remarkable miracles that are happening, it didn't mean that he had bought into the whole idea that his brother was the Messiah of the world. In fact, you could actually make the case that the opposite was actually true. Here's what I mean by this. Uh, look at what, how Jesus' family, his own family, describes him in Mark chapter 3. His own family says, he's out of his mind. Thanks, Mom. That, that, really, that really makes me feel good. Thanks so much, right? But let's get a little closer to home around the study of James. Look at what the Gospel of John tells us. It says that for even his own brothers did not believe in him. So, so James was not buying all the hype around his brother Jesus. I mean, I mean, sure, he, he never got in trouble growing up, and, then, and their mother Mary thought that he did no wrong, and he walked on water. But, but isn't that how every mother thinks about their kid? You know, moms, like, you think those little ones walk on water, you know? So, so, so if you're James, it would make sense that it would take a lot of convincing for someone to, to, to tell you that the long-awaited Messiah sent to save the world from sin is your brother. And, and that's why James wasn't initially a believer in Jesus. He wasn't convinced. So, so, so then what, what, what makes this happen? What makes the, the opening to James 1 make any sense? It says in James 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What took James from not believing in his brother, who he used to give wet willies to growing up, to all of a sudden call him the Lord Jesus Christ? What, what happened? One word. Resurrection. The, the resurrection of Jesus. Right? The resurrection of Jesus from death back to life was enough for James to believe. I, I mean, let's give him credit. I mean, if you can bring yourself back to life, that's pretty good proof that you're more than just a know-it-all older brother. Let's just give it to Jesus, at least that. In fact, you are then at that point, you are Lord. So, so, so we haven't even gotten to the full verse of, of James, this for James 1, and we've already learned a profound truth. And that is that the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It is the single most profound moment in all of human history that, that was the tipping point from doubt to belief. That Jesus not only just died for the sins of mankind, not only said that he died for the sins of mankind, but he came back to life three days later and that makes him not a martyr, but it makes him a Messiah. Because, guys, a martyr dies for what they believe, but they stay dead. You know what I'm saying? But Jesus isn't a martyr because Jesus isn't dead. I mean, as, as Peter would tell us uh, in, in Acts chapter 2, we read that, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death, for death to keep its hold on him. It's impossible for death to keep its hold on him. The resurrection completes the gospel message of Jesus. And what I mean by that is Jesus just didn't say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die to save the world and I'm going to rise from the dead. No, he actually did it. He, he proved it. And as a result of that, 
Many, many, in fact, billions of people have believed in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, including the very brother of Jesus, James. And so I, I say all that to begin with because I want you to know the person writing this that we're going to read is very much like you and very much like me. That even James doubted before he believed. But once he did believe, his life was never the same. And that same thing can happen to you, and it's happened to me. Because believing in Jesus changes everything. But, but James writes this letter at an interesting point of time in the, in the history of the church. Um, so again, just real quickly, the, the church was birthed out of a Holy Spirit moment where God kind of was moving within the followers of Jesus after the resurrection, after the ascension, after Jesus was back in heaven. And it was the power of God working through the Holy Spirit that took 130 meek men and women and transformed them into world changers for the gospel of Jesus. Men and women that were sent to live out the great commission that Jesus had called them to. And we read about in Acts chapter 1, we read that Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. However, living out this mission would prove to be much, much more dangerous and more difficult than one might think. In fact, the gospel didn't even spread as Jesus had just instructed in Acts 1.8 until Acts 8.1 happened. And there in Acts 8.1, we read that after the murder of a disciple by the name of Stephen, a disciple of Jesus by the name of Stephen, we read this that happens. It says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So what we see here is that through persecution, it's through persecution that the followers of Jesus began to spread the gospel that's what it was through. The Christians were scattered outside of Palestine, which is what was called the, the Promised Land, and they were spread throughout the Roman Empire in what was known as the dispersion. And, and it's, it's important to realize that they didn't just leave because they wanted to. It's not like everybody leaving California because they wanted to, right? No, it was because of persecution that they were that leave. Persecution for what they believed. And, and you might say that Christians from that moment on declared war on Satan and all of his schemes in that moment because they were armed with the truth of who Jesus was. They had eyewitness accounts of what he had done. They had seen him die on the cross. They had seen him raised from the dead. They saw the empty tomb and now they were empowered by the Holy Spirit himself. And so Christians, they declared war against the lies of Satan once and for all. In that moment, that's what happened. And guys, this is really important for us to remember because as Christians, it's imperative to remember like, what the battle is that we're really fighting. And the Apostle Paul would say it this way. He would tell us in Ephesians, he would say that for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And it is so easy, isn't it? to lose sight of that in the world that we live in. Because everywhere we look, we see a battle waging. Like we have battles over gender and sexuality and equality and marriage and race and parenting, don't we? I mean, we have finances and jobs and depression and anxiety. And when we start to get overwhelmed with all of this stuff, it's only natural, it's our instinct to look around for worldly solutions or to blame things that are around us. But what Paul just said here is that, he, that, that trying to do that is not going to get you to the root of the problem. 
The root of the problem is not a worldly problem. It's only the symptoms of what's happening. The root of the problem, Paul would say, is that it's a spiritual issue. The root issue is that we live in a broken world caused by sin, and that sin has separated us from God. And the battle is between the evils of Satan and the goodness of God. So we must attack the root. But as we fight these battles, we need to be encouraged too, don't we? We need some encouragement. We need to know that God wants us to be fighting on the front lines of the battle. Everything that we face, we want him to know that, he, that he's going to encourage us through every battle that we're in. And so as James is writing this letter, he's actually doing just that. And we're going to see him encourage these men and these women to stay in the fight and to not give up. We'll see it over and over again. And check out what we just read. The rest of James chapter 1, the rest of it says this. It says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So when he says these 12 tribes, this is what is important. These are the Christian Jews that were scattered across the Roman Empire, and they're in spiritual battles for Jesus. We just talked about it. These are men and women on the front lines of the battle to tell other people about Jesus. So James' words are to encourage, to challenge, to embolden all these fellow soldiers for the love and the life of Jesus, to stay committed, to stay true to Jesus no matter what. And even though these words were written about 50 or 60 AD, they are just as applicable today for us in 2021. Because these are words that point directly to us to say, hey, stay connected to Jesus. Keep following him fully, even when things are hard. And, and many of the people James is going to write to, guys, they are, they're poor people. They're marginalized people. But he also is going to point out to people that are rich and influential, which means that the message of Jesus affects us all and it's for us all. Because no matter who you are or where you're at, to follow Jesus fully is going to require you to be in the battlefield too. you got to be in the battlefield. When you truly want Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, you have now volunteered to the front lines of the battle for him. And as we live this life, we will need the words that James is going to tell us. We, we need to hear them with urgency and with challenge and encouragement. We need to hear them that way. So, so the question would be, how would James decide to open up this, this letter to the front lines of all these people, these 12 tribes? How would he do it? Well, to, before I do that, let me just kind of tell you a story. Um, when I was in college, I used to have strength and conditioning workouts for baseball every day at the University of Nebraska. H hands down, we had some of the toughest coaches in the country. One of our coaches was a, a, um, he was a, a weightlift for the U.S. Olympic team. He's an alternate for the U.S. Olympic weightlifting team. The other one was one of the top trainers for the national championship football team. Go Huskers, right? That he was one for them. But, and, and that might sound really cool. But I will tell you this, they had no desire to train little baseball players like us. No desire, right? They wanted guys that could bench press trucks and that could like tear open pop cans with their teeth. You know what I'm saying? Like that's what they wanted. So getting to train the baseball team was the equivalent of getting detention for talking in class. That's basically what it was, which meant that their approach to training us was this. If we're going to get punished for being here, we're going to punish you for being here. That was their goal. So, so they were some of the absolute toughest workouts I've ever had in my life. There is, there is no understatement. But one of the, the hardest things that they ever had us go through, one of the hardest things is we had to run the stadium stairs at Memorial Stadium football field where the, where the, players, where the football players played. 
And there was 120 stairs to the top of the stadium, if I remember correctly. And I do. There was 120 stairs, okay? Well, listen, one day I get done with my six sets of these stairs and I'm at the bottom. I'm like huffing and puffing. I'm getting ready to die or other things are going to come out. Like you just don't know, right? You're at the bottom of the stairs. And I remember this clear as day. I remember Coach Kevin, he was yelling at someone. And so I look up, I look up and sure enough, it's one of our pitchers. His name is Tony. And he had like collapsed at the top of the stairs. Don't you dare feel sorry for Tony because he was a wuss and he did it all the time in workouts. He had all kinds of different reasons. Dude was made of glass all the time. But he was literally stuck at the stop, top of the stairs. 120 of them all the way to the top. So who does Coach Kevin volunteer to go get Tony's sandbag for the top of the thing? You got it, me, okay? So I had to run to the top again and I had to literally carry Tony's seemingly lifeless dead weight body down to the bottom so we could get to the dining hall before it closed and I will tell you this I didn't gently put Tony on the ground if you know what I mean okay he hit with a thud and he deserved every second of it okay but but what these hard workouts taught me was something incredibly important I learned that I was able to do way more than I thought I was capable of capable of. I learned that there was more in me if I just kept pushing and I didn't give up. And so because of the pain I went through during those workouts, I was able to perform better in the field. I had better agility. I had better quickness. I had better strength. I had better stamina. I had all those things that I wouldn't have had had I not gone through those really, really hard workouts. So I want you to have that same mindset as we, get, we, we begin to read James. And the first words that he's going to tell these 12 tribes on the front lines of the battle, look at what he says in James chapter 1, look at verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that with the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So, so James begins by telling men and women scattered around, dispersed because of their faith, likely facing threats because of their belief in Jesus. He says, hey, check it out. I want you to consider it pure joy when what? When you face what? Trials. And for many of you here today and many of you joining us right now, and especially all of our moms right now, this is where you want to take this book and you want to chuck it out the window. Am I right? I mean, what kind of crazy jacked up mumbo jumbo is that? Consider it pure joy when I'm facing trouble. I'll show you joy and trouble, James. Get over here. You know what I'm talking about? But before you log off and before you turn off, before you toss the book out the truck, let me just, let me just talk for a second, okay? So first, keep this in mind. James isn't saying this. He's not saying that what you're going through isn't hard. He's not saying pretend like it's not there. He's not saying fake it till you make it. No, it's real. And it's really hard. The second thing is, notice that he doesn't say if you face trials. He says when you face trials. So trials will come. And then the last thing I want you to notice, notice that he doesn't say certain types of trials, but what kind of trials? He says of many kinds. Many kinds. So what this means is that James doesn't, uh, doesn't, doesn't have his head in the sand, right? He knows about this. He knows that trials are real. He knows that trials are going to happen. And he knows that trials will be in all kinds of shapes and all kinds of sizes. 
So James is saying, listen, I get you. I, 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 I hear you. I feel you, man. Like, I feel you. And, and here's what I know, right? Here's what I know because I know it's true about me and I know it's true about you. I, I, just, I just know it. I know that right now there's a lot of you that are the beginning, right? You're at the beginning of a trial. You're at the beginning of a challenge. You're the beginning of a decision. Like literally right now. Some of you are facing a really hard marriage. Some of you are, are, are thinking about a job change. Somebody's finally realizing they're addicted to pornography. Someone is depressed and lonely. Someone's feeling far from God. Someone's on the bad end of a medical diagnosis right now. And, and all those trials and countless others are sitting on, on this side of the battlefield. Now, on the other side of the battlefield, though, that we have to kind of consider is this, is that this, on this side of the battlefield, guys, this is the victory, right? This is the victory. This is the, this is the goal. This is where we want to end up. This is the, the restored marriage. This is the new job. This is the freedom from addiction. This is the community, the belonging that you're longing for. This is the relationship with God. This is the defeat of that disease. And this is where you want to be, isn't it? It's where you want to be. But between that and this is all this stuff, isn't there? And see, the battle isn't fought on that side, and the battle isn't fought on that side. It is fought right here, right here. And do you want to know what this is called? Perseverance. Between where you're at and where you want to be is perseverance. Guys, listen. Perseverance separates the trial from the victory. See, see, James is saying, he's saying that the testing of your faith through trials is called perseverance. And check it out. There is all kinds of stuff that you encounter along the way, isn't there? There are all kinds of, of, of obstacles and, and landmines and, and all kinds of different things. And, and perseverance, guys, Perseverance is the moment between giving up and pressing onward. That's the, that's the moment, right, of, of giving up or pressing onward that most people never see through. Most people never see it. Perseverance is looking at all the work that's in front of you, all the things that you've got to accomplish, everything you've got to get up against, and saying, you know what? I need to go for it. That's what perseverance is. But for those that look away from perseverance, you miss out on the reward it brings. See, see James says this in, in verse 12. He says that blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. But yet so often in the middle of the battle, we're tempted to look away. We're tempted to give up. We let the work of perseverance overwhelm the joy that we find in the struggle. It just happens that way. So, so, so what do we do when that happens? What, what do we do when we start to get overwhelmed? We give up on the marriage. We quit the job. We stop working out. We eat the Krispy Kreme, right? We go into debt. Stop coming to church. Stop praying. Stop, stop, stop being in community. We start to doubt ourselves. We, man, we tap out. We tap out. And do you want to know the craziest part about this whole thing? The whole deal is that we'll blame God 
when we give in. Yeah, totally. We'll blame God. We'll say that the temptation to quit was too great. That the temptation to not persevere was just too much. We'll say, God, you just made it too hard, and we'll just give up. But this is where James is so helpful for us. As he writes to these 12 churches, it was helpful to them too. Because as, as James sits back and thinks about this, he starts to think about his brother Jesus and everything he went through. James starts thinking about his life and everything he's went through. And he considers these 12 churches that he's, he's writing to and all that they're going through in the moment. And he considers our, our natural tendency to blame God for our lack of perseverance. And as he thinks about all that, listen to what he says. Verse 13, he says, You know, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. James says, God's not to blame for our weakness on the front lines of the battle for Jesus. It's our sin. It's our sin that causes us to give up before the battle is won. And, and you can't avoid the imagery that was here, can you? You can't avoid the imagery of, of sin dragging us away because of what? Because of what we choose. Not God forcing us of what we choose. It's our own sin. It's our own unbelief that is dragging us away from the battlefield. Before you start to think, man, this is a depressing message for Mother's Day, right? Like, listen, here's what you can never forget. This is what we can never forget. The battle's already been won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus has won the battle over the one thing that we cannot beat on our own. And what is that? Death. He died so we could live. Which means that whenever we feel like we are beat up and we have, and we've like hit rock bottom, all we have to do is look up. And, and when we look up, we're going to see where our hope, our hope comes from. J James says this in verse 16. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So, so what does this mean? What does this mean? It, it means that when we are, we are in, in the middle of our battle, when we're in the middle of perseverance, when, when perseverance stands between our victory, where we're at in our victory, we have to remember something. You are never alone. You're never alone. Jesus is in the middle of the battle with us. And what is he doing? He's saying, hey, dude, hey, there's some stuff there. Dude, you, this is how you got to get through it. You trust me, trust me. And you're like, okay, Jesus, like I'm with you. I'm with you, man, you know? And he's like, hey, dude, there's a landmine there. Watch that. Okay, I'll watch that. Oh, there's a landmine there. Okay, watch out. Well, that one's going to be a tough one. Oh, there's a watch out. He's like, okay, now listen, you got this thing. You're going to have to get through and it's really going to be gnarly and it's going to be scary and you're going to have to trust me on it. But just trust me. And you're like, okay, Jesus, I'll go for it, right? And you go across and you're like, yes! Yes, I made it, right? Jesus is encouraging us through all of that stuff, through all the dark tunnels, through everything that we're going through. Jesus is our hope when it seems impossible. Jesus is the truth in a world of deceit. Jesus is the strength when we need it the most, when we're weak. Jesus is how we can persevere what seems when the battle seems to be too much. Jesus is what it is worth. Jesus is who whispers to us. Listen, he says this to us. Don't give up until your time is up. 
Jesus said, keep going. The battle is hard, yes. But I'm telling you that God is not done with you. His plan is perfect. His, he still has purpose for you. His grace is still sufficient. His mercies are still new. His love is still unending. And so my friends, hear James say this. Let perseverance finish. Let perseverance finish. And can I tell you that we can persevere to the finish because of what Jesus said on the cross. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He said it's finished. So we can persevere because Jesus finished what we could never do on the cross. Jesus says it is finished to our sin, to our shame, to our heartache, to our selfishness, to our defeat, to cancer, to debt, to everything that we're up against. On the cross, he persevered through pain and death so that we could be victorious no matter what we're facing, you guys. So just remember, guys, listen to me. The battle is hard, but the victory is ours. Now, no, 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 I, I, we need to say that together. If you're at home, you need to say this with me right now together. We need to say this together. The battle is hard, but the victory is ours. No, 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 that's like weak sauce stuff. Let me hear it again, right? The battle is hard, but the victory is ours. That's right, because Jesus has persevered. So my friends, don't give up until your time is up. Don't give up. Jesus is telling you he's going to be with you through it all to persevere to the very end because he persevered for us. Don't give up until your time is up. And only Jesus knows when your time is up. So keep fighting. Keep fighting. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast.